The opinions expressed on this program are those of the host or guest and should not be interpreted as statement of fact. Independent fact-checking and corrections are encouraged. Go get a cup of coffee in here, please. Yes, good morning, folks, people of Earth. It is Friday, made it to another week, uh, August 5th, 2022. Good to have you here. Yesterday, I lost power uh, while I was publishing the show, just after publishing the audio version of the show, just after the live stream ended yesterday. Lost power completely. Um and then phone lines went out, and I was a little bit panicking. I was in a, a panic phase, thinking, uh-oh, I've been through this before. It reminded me of that Tuesday, uh, September 1st, uh, 2001, or September 11th, 2001, when the uh, towers were hit. All the communications went out. Beepers didn't work. My cell phone didn't work, and uh, that's unusual. When power goes out, you understand, okay, powers can go out, especially in the summer, brownouts, all that kind of stuff. But when the cell phone doesn't work at the same time, uh, a little bit um, disconcerting, a little bit panic panic time. Uh Uh-oh, we've lost everything. Don't know uh, what to make of it. And so I was uh, offline yesterday, but offline and not able to communicate with anybody. Very, um, very weird time. Anyway, got through the day, got power back. Then, um, had a gig last night, and <clears throat> bombing is one thing. Uh, everybody bombs from time to time, but there are there are big bombs and there are little bombs, and then there are uh, nuclear bombs. <laughs> and I nuclear bombed last night. I put I was the worst I've ever been in my entire life to the point where I felt like uh, people needed to give everybody their money back and apologize to people. Now, um, there are lots of reasons for it, but they're not excuses. I mean, all the things that happened that contributed to my really sucking (laughs) completely last night were within my power to change uh, in advance um, so it's all on me. I'm responsible for the colossal sucking that I did last night and I feel terrible about it. But here's the thing with, with music and bands, it's a team sport. And so if you totally suck it up, your, your teammates, your bandmates can, can pick you up. Now, last night was even a little difficult with that because everybody was feeling Worn out, exhausted, tired, whatever. So here's my reason, not excuses, <laughs> for why I suck so bad last night. First of all, I have severe 
uh, nerve damage in my right hand, which is the picking hand, guitar stuff. And my left hand, I have severe arthritis. And both were acting up terribly yesterday. I hadn't slept uh, well at all. And I didn't eat before I went to the gig. So I was hungry. I was tired. Uh, I got there, both hands not feeling right. Um, I got there, it was 95 degrees and 95% humidity. And I got there an hour and a half earlier than I should have. That was not my fault. Uh, scheduling stuff uh, with the with the venue. So uh, sitting in the hot sun, giving myself heat stroke, uh, <laughs> combined with uh, being tired and hungry and thirsty, both hands not working. And then I decided to play a guitar that I haven't played in probably three years now. Because I've been, you know, you get used to a certain tool, a certain, you know, instrument. And I haven't played this guitar. And the neck is completely different. So I was just awful. Just awful. And I knew it. And everybody else knew it. At one point, uh, the drummer, Mike Barone, turned to me and said, I think you need to tune up. I said, no, I'm not. I'm in tune. I'm just playing a bunch of bad notes. Like every t- <laughs> and, and Mikey said, playing wrong notes? No, not playing wrong notes, playing bad notes. Bad notes are worse than playing wrong notes. Bad, uh, a bad notes is when you play the right note badly. <laughs> it's just terrible. It was awful. Uh, so it, it's, it, you know, but you got, I got two today. Got one, I have an afternoon gig and then I have to get to a, a show tonight which is a couple of hours away. Um, got to rebound. Got to get right back up on the horse and, uh, and and ride again and not dwell on the colossal once-in-a-lifetime sucking that went on last night. Uh, and people feel like, you know, I know this was going to happen because I put it on pay- Facebook last night, and I knew like people who were into performing arts were going to be like, oh, man, it happens. I'm sure some people enjoyed it. You know what? There's evidence that uh, some people enjoyed it. And I feel even worse about that. Like, uh, Because the idea going through my head, and this happened while I was performing. Saw a couple up dancing, and I, I was thinking about them. And I was thinking, they came here, they had dinner, they spent money to come out on a Thursday night for this. I owe them an apology. I owe them their money back. Uh, how much did you spend on dinner, man? I'll buy you dinner. But I couldn't do that for everybody in the crowd, obviously. But that's the thought that goes through your mind. It's like good people came out, spent their hard-earned money for garbage, and I'm responsible for that. It's, it doesn't feel good. Uh, you know what? Uh, it's, it's not a good feeling. Hopefully, um, we'll be able to erase that tonight and tomorrow night and, and Sunday and Monday. <laughs> This is why I'm so exhausted. I've been doing shows Thursday to Monday, nonstop, sometimes two a day, often on the weekends, two a day. Um, again, not an excuse. Um, need to get better rest. Need to, you know, take care of myself before the gigs and uh, all that kind of stuff. So so that's where it is. Uh, not a, not a uh, good day yesterday at all. Friday is the issues with Andy's day uh, i understand andy and the guys are doing a live stream tonight i won't be there uh because uh, i got i'll be out gigging i'll be out at a place called docks in island park new york uh, which is a 
I don't know why Dox, D-O-X, is a beach club in Island Park, New York. And I'll be there doing an acoustic duo with Kiera. And so looking forward to that. Uh, if you're tuning in for expecting to see the beautiful and talented uh, Jess Paul today, she will not be co-hosting with me today. Uh, she is in demand. And that's what we want to see. I, I mean, uh, I, as much as I'd love to have her here and co-hosting the show, the fact that uh, Hollywood is calling and she's got work in front of her. Very, very cool stuff. Um, yeah, who's, I'm going to just quickly check and see uh, what the chat room's looking like. Good morning, Dean. Good morning, Kelly. Good morning, Craig. Uh, good to see you, folks. Thanks for being here. Uh, my guest today is already arrived. I, you know, as you know, guests are usually uh, they come on at 10 a.m. here Eastern time, but uh, my guest is already here and might be a, a very fortuitous uh, situation to bring her in now. Uh, Erica Switzer is uh, knocking them dead in comedy, but uh, Erica Switzer, you probably hear that name, and if you if you hear that name and think blonde-haired, blue-eyed German girl, uh, you're in for a little bit of a surprise. She is a uh, former English teacher who uh, worked in places like China and Paris or all over the world. She hails from Chicago, New York. She's got uh, she's going to be appearing in the comedy summer comedy bash two in Midlothian, Illinois, at the end of the month. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome in uh, the fabulous Erica Switzer to Coffee with Erica. Welcome. Good morning, Matt. That was such a beautiful intro for a Friday. That's amazing. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for being here. Uh, now. You have a backstory that uh, is quite unusual in comedy. Uh, Maybe if you could share some of that with the audience. So I actually grew up a comedy fan Uh, in my household growing up in the 80s. I used to drive my mother crazy asking her to rent everything Whoopi Goldberg and everything Eddie Murphy in the 80s. And I love growing up with that. My dad got the Robin Harris Baby's Kids tape in 1990, and I learned every beat, every word, and I fell in love with comedy. But I did not get the bug to really bite me, aside from doing a comedy club in high school and in, in improv in college. The comedy bug did not finally bite me until I had a marvelous Miss Maisel moment in Shanghai, China where I relocated to press the reset button on the reset button after a loveless marriage. And I just took it off from there. So there we go. Wow. Shanghai, China. Now, first of all, uh, there's a couple. There's so much in there. (laughs) I don't even almost don't know where to begin. But uh, for the young comedians that I talk to often, and I had one on yesterday, um, he is not pursuing his dream completely because he feels like he's in a job that he got tied to a job that makes too much money for him to even really go out on the road or take any ventures and go after his dream full full heartedly uh now you becoming an educator and and uh and all that is 
uh, part of something that that's hard to walk away from, right? And and the money in that has to be pretty good. I would think. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong about that. Maybe the money is, is terrible for because I know we don't teach treat uh, teachers that all that great. But just having that as a as as your foundation, hard to walk away from that life and get into comedy and just cut ties and say, this is what I want to do. I'm gonna I'm gonna go after it. I knew for a long time because I was encouraged by a college buddy to come over there and get paid what I was worth as a teacher. So I love that. But the fact of the matter is, by the time I was getting ready to leave, the French international school that I was working for had given me a five-year contract extension. So on top of already paying very well to the point where I didn't have to come out of pocket for resources and stuff like that, they were giving flight reimbursements and stuff. I was grading papers on top of rooftops, sipping mimosas. It was brilliant. It was great. But I gave up on five years of that because that would have been five more years of being within that system, not necessarily based in Shanghai. I could have said, yo, I want to move on up, get me out of here, take me to Singapore. You know, let me work the French school in Singapore. And I could have kept doing that. But no, I wanted to come home. I fell in love. I knew that uh, I would be paid more for comedy than just uh, the equivalent of seven fifty and a warm beer. So that's why I'm here and I'm very happy. Uh, even though I love teaching and I love the students that I had, this journey is a little bit more important to me and more personal and special to me right now. Well, good for you. I, I'm glad to see that, you, you know, uh, and I, I, this is kind of my whole purpose in life is getting encouraging people to actually live the life they want to live before they get too old and say, I wish I would have, I wish I could have, uh, you know, all that kind of stuff. Uh, and so uh, it's good to see, see you pursuing your dream and, and pursuing the life and, and killing at it and and having some success we need to talk about a couple of things because i'm an advocate for women in comedy uh in a big way because i still feel like um uh even though progress is being made for women in comedy it still is a very male dominated sport <laughs> if you will and and a, a rough hoe for women rough road to hoe for women <laughs> rough hoe. uh <laughs> it's friday morning I'm still sucking a little from last night. Um, but so a very difficult time for, for women in comedy. Uh, do you, are you experiencing, you know, and I'm not asking you to make excuses for for any challenges that you have, but are you, are you uh, because of your gender, uh, having a harder time than male counterparts? Absolutely not. Really? I am not, and it's because I set it up that way. I understand how the optics could look when it comes to that, but when it comes to what I was doing in the Shanghai comedy scene, within a year and a half, I had become a comedy auntie, producing shows and booking other comedians and understanding how things work. Um, but even with doing that and running my own independent shows, I was still the go-to for when it was the ladies' comedy night. I was the host. I would help get the, the, the lineups together and all that stuff. So uh, coming here and carrying that same spirit, that same energy has been fantastic. Now, I haven't produced my own ladies' show since I've been back, but I've just gotten back into the swing of producing. 
So when you mentioned Summer Comedy Bash too, I was like, uh oh, that's my baby. <laughs> because I am, uh, in spite of being a woman in comedy, I do take advantage of every ladies show and every other opportunity for women that are out there. Because I believe it's important to go ahead and fellowship with my sisters who are doing it. Right. Um, and not just to be like, oh, you guys get an advantage because you're women. No, we're banding together. And it, it's true. There is a different magic that happens when you're at an all-women show or when you're at an all-women's lineup versus when there's the Y chromosome introduced. So I personally... My age is the one thing that I think would hold me back, but people can't tell because, I mean. No, you look very young. You know what? I know you're not what I'm going to say, but if I had to guess, I would say 22, 23. (laughs) Well, the bad thing about not working for the French school anymore is that my Botox budget budget has dried up. So, um... No, uh, but but even uh, I appreciate your insight on that because that, you know, taking responsibility for it is a big thing. But I still see because when I go, I go looking at ticket prices sometimes and I see Kevin Hart, uh, Dave Chappelle, um, Bill Burr, all these people that are at the top. And then I'll see like Nikki Glaser and there's a the disparity between ticket prices. for the guys, $40 for the women. Uh, It's still that. Uh, Do you you see that or is is that just a a, uh, function of the ticket master and the people that take advantage of what they perceive to be in-demand shows or is that that a gender issue? When you say it like that, it really does seem like an NBA to WNBA comparison. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I understand <laughs> that um, a Nikki Glaser, an Eliza Schlesinger, a Whitney Cummings, even though they may be very popular and well-known, they're still not going to be as big of a draw as the Kevin Hart's and the Dave Chappelle's and the, the guys on top. Right. Um, my goal while I'm in the comedy game is to shake that up. And I know there's a whole bunch of women who uh, also feel that way. But... I'm looking at myself as being one of those people who get on stage and be like, nah, you ain't seeing gender until I start making a whole bunch of dick jokes. But when I'm on here, I'm going to give you, <laughs> I'm going to bring it with the ferocity of a man. You're going to think I was a dude. You're going to think I had an extra chromosome or something when I'm up there letting it go. So yeah, I, I want to see women continue to challenge that and not just, and also for men and other people, other women, because we cut each other down too. To not be like beer break next time a woman is on stage. Support her. Listen to what she has to say. If we talk a little bit more than a male comics, it's because our brains can handle it. And we process a lot of details and stuff like that. Those little nuances sometimes add to jokes. So if that lady's not going on too long, listen to that sister. Right. That's that's the main thing. I feel like people don't want to listen to women at home, at school, on the job. Uh, but it's vitally important when it comes to comedy, and we do have a lot to say. So, right now, if we can talk about race, if you're uh, okay with that, um, because uh, some of the shows, uh, you, and I, I even on your website there, there's some things that say, uh, you know, um, uh, Shanghai's uh, what, what does it say, black comedy show somewhere in there, and it's just like uh, black women in comedy laugh fest, these kind of things. The need to still, because, you know, I was a big fan of, of 
Bernie Mac's whole scene and what was going on there. And some of the the best comedians I, in my life, the most influential, you know, Richard Pryor, uh, Bernie Mac. I mean, I mean all the, the, the guys that I grew up really, uh, really idolizing and thinking were, were the top of the game, a lot of black comics. But uh, there still seems to be, and I've had people on, especially from the Midwest where you are, talk about black rooms and white rooms and like in, in 2022 we have segregation in comedy um is, is that a thing like where, where we still need to have two sets of comedy one for white people one for black people <laughs> listen matt i'm not black enough for some of the black rooms that they're talking about it is a real thing where people really do speak a different language and have a different cadence if you're not thrilling a black audience within the first five seconds of you being on the stage, you got to do something to your act. It's a different high laughs per minute, high energy, punch, 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 punch. Somebody could do one bit about a physical defect and stretch that thing out for five minutes. That's black comedy. Or just just like roasting nonstop, roasting the crowd, like doing that kind of stuff. You're likely to find that more at a black comedy show than you will at a mainstream show. At a mainstream uh, show, there may be more attention to material, more attention to the actual crafting of material. Hey, 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 set up, punch, set up, punch, twist, act out. Mm-mm, watch my call back. Yay, we did it. And you're not going to find that at a black club necessarily. Right. So... I produced a show, the original Summer Comedy Bash, a couple of Saturdays ago, and it was an example of Black comedy at its finest. So we had a mix of comics from all across the city who can do the mainstream rooms. We have comics that only do the mainstream rooms, and then we had comics that only do the Black rooms, and we brought them together. You could totally see the difference, but everybody that was in that room had the best time because it was one of the funniest shows they had ever been on. So that's what I'm trying to do as a producer too, to continue to curate those kind of experiences where, Hey, you might not go to the North side shows, but we got this cat and we got me who's at the North side shows. You don't go to the South side shows. Let's bring you a taste with these high hitting heavy handed hitters. that's just going in there murdering and ain't stopping until they see you doubled over in laughter. Like those are the kind of shows that I've always enjoyed producing. I used to produce them even in Shanghai as far-fetched as that seems, I was able to produce those, but that's what I want to bring to the public. And that's the kind of experience I want. I want folks to leave buzzing at that door and say, man, that was such a great time. So is there a danger, like Robin Harris had a, a a challenge with this and danger is probably the wrong word, but the, um, for your career to get pigeonholed into just being considered a black comic and where the real if you want to become bernie mac or you want to be you know successful in that area you have to some at some point appeal to all audiences and you don't want to be labeled as just a black comic you want to be just a comedian richard Pryor. you want to be on that level uh is there a, a challenge with that if you you know you end up doing a lot of what they call black rooms I, I would imagine so. I would imagine that's the challenge, but I'm trying to, I'm finding my happy medium. I know for me as a fifth year comedian who's from Chicago, but started doing comedy abroad. I know there's been some, 
competencies that I've had to come back home and get. So I need to go in the black room so I can go in there and hit folks hard. And right. I need to go into white rooms or, or mainstream rooms and do the majority of my material as I've been doing for years. Right. So um, for me and I hope for other comics, having a wide skill set is necessary. Being able to rock a stage from the rural Midwest to the urban cities is important. Being able to read the room, um, doing great crowd work, like all of those competencies I'm trying to build within myself as a comedian. Um, and for my fifth year, yeah, I'm looking at how I can do all that and do it consistently and, and have fun with the crowd. No, uh, and and uh, this is not. Um, I don't. I don't do false compliments uh, or any of that fake stuff. I think you are uniquely um, prepared and qualified to become bigger than than. It just any about anybody now because I talk to a lot of comedians every single day. I talk to a different comedian pretty much on this show, and I meet lots of them in in my life going out to comedy clubs and and working with people. Most of them don't have the world education experience, all that stuff to be articulate and have all this background uh, of an educational person and be able to articulate the ideas that you just did, plus a real world upbringing where you can communicate to real people on their level as well. So putting those two together, I think makes you uniquely qualified to kind of uh, rocket past all of the other comedians that are just, you know, trying to learn all of those things and have that. Cause you just said a skill set. You have to have a very, you know, wide skill set. You've got it all. You've got the education plus the connection with real people that can put it all together. So I, I expect to, you know, see you on top of the world. Um, uh, and but you mentioned Whoopi as a, an influence, Eddie Murphy as an influence, very different styles, even though they were both thought of as black comedians in their day, very different styles. Um, where, where do you take the influence from and where does it end with, with you? Like looking up to people like that? Cause Whoopi's not even really thought of as a comedian anymore. She's kind of like a, I don't know, a pundit, a talk show host or something. Before Whoopi became a talking head, a controversial one at that, she was an EGOT winner. She was one of the first EGOT winners. So when I was younger and watching her rise, I was seeing her just collect these achievements left and right. But she was still, um, at the beginning of that, she still did her one-woman show. That was getting acclaimed. So even though she hasn't been a traditional stand-up in the sense in probably 40 years or close to it, uh, just seeing what she did was huge to me. And seeing what Eddie did was huge to me and how they both had incredible movie careers that took off from these bigger-than-life comedic personas and staying in the moment and all that. It was just beautiful to watch them. So uh, that's where I draw my influence from them. From Bernie Mac, I get that south side. I ain't lying and, and the, the facial expressions and leaning into the situations. From some more, I get my raunchy stories and, and having fun with the storytelling. I've had people tell me, you kind of remind me of Adele Givens, which is beautiful. Another Chicago queen of comedy uh, who I look up to greatly. And then I'm... I'm writing more i'm thinking about my point of view and my perspective which is 
even though I'm from the mud, I'm from Maywood, Illinois, I'm also very nerdy. So I, I've been leaning more on Dion Cole when it comes to my writing because of his observations and stuff. So um, my influences are people that I've looked up to for years, since I was a teenager at this point, and it just feels surreal to be at this big age and five years into the comedy game and like, oh man, this looks like, oh, I know them. I just met her. Oh, like this is freaking cool. Like for real, I could have been doing this the whole time. You know, that's where <laughs> I met with it. It's fun. Now, uh, with with be, being a world traveler, formerly a world traveler, I think uh, 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 it seems that you're concentrating on, on killing the uh, Illinois Chicago market uh, at this time, are you doing any kind of road work or, or are you basically just concentrating on, on Illinois? I did some road stuff. I was going up and down between here in Wisconsin and did Des Moines, Iowa in March. So I was going up and down, uh, doing shows in Wisconsin for over a year now. Um, doing the Midwest thing. I love those shows, those bar shows and those cute venues. And you just, go for me to go ham in Janesville, Wisconsin. That feels fantastic. <laughs> I yeah. loved it. Um, I am not traveling as much. I am slated to be at the six city, uh, comedy festival in Cleveland next week. I'm sitting that one out. Don't tell nobody, but <laughs> a sister's kind of broke. I was just in New York in June for the black women in comedy laugh fest, which was amazing. Um, I'm a festival hound. I love festivals. So I'll travel for a festival in a heartbeat. And I have, yeah, I, it's just, I'm not going to do it this much more uh, this year because I'm kind of cash trapped and I want to stack yeah, the papers yeah. Yeah. and then focus on being here and making a name for myself here. So uh, I was wondering if um, that's really necessary anymore and maybe it is but maybe it always will be but i mean to in order to kind of break through to the higher public consciousness where you everybody knows your name it used to be you have to be a complete road warrior you'd have to visit every small town in america and all that kind of stuff but i'm thinking the world getting smaller because of this uh, the way that the pandemic made people even more like screen junkies and, and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, maybe, maybe the need to be a road warrior is kind of going away. Do you think so or no? Is it, is it still important to a career? It's still important. It's still, you can't replace mileage, meeting people in person, the venues, experiencing them, experiencing the owners, having those stories to tell on the way and back. But I really think that with the pandemic, a lot of that has been, uh, you've got shortcuts. You still have to get out there and do the groundwork. Not everybody who's going to be at your comedy show is a social media person. Not everybody's going to see every post you make. So it's invaluable when you're actually face-to-face -face with the people. In my case, uh, coming home from Shanghai, I was worried about where was I going to be? Should I be in Chicago? Am I good enough to be in Chicago? Do they want me in LA? What's going on? Coming home and doing virtual comedy, I was fortunate enough to win the Flapper Super Bowl in October of 2020. And I was like, yo, wait, this is cool. And before I knew it, I had more people thinking that I was an LA comic than anything else. Wow. 
But the power of virtual and the power of doing those shows helped me build my network and continue to build my brand. So even though, I mean, I can go to a show here and get a great amount of applause because one, it happens, it still feels weird to me. <laughs> I mean, like they actually know me. Oh, those two ladies are doing a joke. She saw that on my YouTube. Okay. All right. So let me go on. Oh, that guy's loving it. Okay. They know me though. Wait, wow. This is weird to go from that to, you know, I post something on the internet, 300 people like it from all across the country and world. Wow. Cool. I love that. So I love that I have that reach, but also loved coming home and having that challenge, feeling like if I've had thousands of people from all walks of life seeing me in Shanghai, all I have to do is be really popular and successful and they can remember me all over again. <laughs> I Back in the early days, uh, well, not the early days, but early 2000s, uh, my music was getting downloaded in China and Japan, like bizarre number, 5 million in, in a week, I think. And I was like, wow, what's going on over there? I could go over there and land in, in, in Japan or something and be a, like Elvis just landed or something. <laughs> it's kind of strange. Um, a lot lately, the discussion, and I don't, I see trends in the discussion with comedians that I have. I don't like generally initiate these trends or try to force this as a current issue. But what I'm hearing lately, one of the things I'm hearing lately is the number of comedians and and somebody actually said there needs to be less comedians and my uh, <clears throat> i got two two kind of thoughts on this one is that competition is always a good thing it will always make the the the, the cream rise to the top and and really make it better cream competition will, will be better for everybody uh and the other part of that is the universe will take care of the ones who really uh just aren't cut out to be comedians um so what what is what is your take on that because we are seeing like more people calling themselves stand-up comedians that i mean basically uh any other profession right now in the entire world what is your opinion on that i think it's a hot thing for people to get into and want to look at as a possible profession because of how the threat to freedom of speech is encroaching on so many people especially here wow and good insight yeah and let's not be coy about it because i can go try to send a text message right now and it'll auto correct simple things that I've been telling my best girlfriend for 25 years. It's a real thing that we have to be concerned about. And I feel like comedy is one of the last bastions of freedom of speech. And if we get to a point where we can't roast anybody anymore, because it's got, you, you, oh, that hurts. Oh, you're triggering someone. That's not fun. Why are you saying that about her? That she's not like that at all. Then no, we can't do that. Once we start messing around with the right to roast, then we're messing around with a lot of, a lot of stuff. So uh, I feel like people are jumping in and, and felt like, oh, well, it's the pandemic. I'm at home. I'm bored. I need to be amused. Let's laugh. Hey, I know it. People have always told me I'm funny. So why don't I go on there and do that? If you're not putting in the work, if you are if you did that one open mic in 2020 and you haven't touched the mic since and your profile still says stand-up comedian, stop that immediately. Change right. it. it. You have to put the work in. Stand-up comedy is not something where you can just go do it one time and then all of a sudden that's it. You right. put in the reps, you build your material, you build your sets up, 
And then by the time you start getting booked, then you can say you're a stand-up comic. But until wow. then, you're just a hobbyist playing games with it and then finding other ways to laugh. So be if you want to be about the game, be about the game. Don't be out here faking because it's a whole bunch of people who are about the game who deserve those spots. And like you said, they will weed themselves out. Yeah. You know, uh, that's great insight. I think, first of all, uh, everything you said, I, I co totally agree with. And I also think that sometimes people feel like they need to have a voice because so many people, you know, if you're watching stuff and you want to respond to it, you know, people, you know, even this program, I know I say stuff. This is why I have a chat room so people can get that off their chest. But, I, you know, a lot of times you're watching television or whatever and you hear somebody say something. You're like, Wait, I, no, why is nobody expressing my point of view on this? Because I disagree with everything and nobody's bringing up what, how I feel about this. I think that's part of it as well. People want to have a voice and they don't and they feel like they don't have a voice. But where you were talking there, I thought about the, the autocorrect stuff. And I'm not telling you your business or, or material you should develop, but I thought this it would be probably a good idea to have something about having a filter for urban language in the autocorrect stuff because a lot of that language the auto autocorrect doesn't understand, but it's common language that people use all the time. So that you know you know got to think about that. Teach Apple Siri or whatever the Google one is uh, some some real people talk <laughs> you know i like to say woo child and oh child to my best friend especially <laughs> you know because we're from we're from that era and we're from there but whenever i'm typing i don't need it to give me the chilean flag <laughs> yeah that's exactly what i mean i mean so they gotta they gotta make those hip now um you mentioned uh, people perceiving you as an L.A. comedian. Now, I think L.A. is unique in that, and it, they're still in the in in the past in in regards to people who get into stand up comedy not to be stand-up comedians. Their real love is television or film. They're using it as a step stepping stone. There are two kinds of comedians now. There are people who get into stand-up who truly love stand-up as an art form. They're in it to be stand-up comedians. And then there's, there's still people who get into stand-up comedy who see it as a way to get into film or television and that kind of stuff. And those people, those people who want to see it as a venue to get a stepping stone to get to movies or television end up in LA. You agree? I agree. I and agree. Are you a, uh, for a lifer for standup? I'm definitely a lifer. I'm a lifer. I figured I wanted to retire or be semi-retired and never have to pay for meals or drinks a day in my life. And I figured standup was going to be the way to do that. So I'm in there, but, um, yeah, I can't I can't see myself doing the day job, nine to five standard stuff. Uh, I want to be able to. Now, first off, don't get me wrong. I'm not wearing my makeup this morning. I usually don't put on makeup for a man, not even my boyfriend at nine o'clock in the morning. Um, <laughs> but but this face belongs on the tizube and I'm I'm going to do my best to take whatever movie and TV opportunities uh, come to me. But at the end of the day, I still love stand-up. At the end of the day, I could imagine myself getting off a set somewhere and just being like, look, I need a stage. Give me a mic. Somebody, please. 
Because if I have to talk about Barbara and Central Catering one more time, somebody is going to have to pull me off of her. Like I, I want, I want that. Growing up, like I said, growing up seeing Whoopi, seeing Deborah Wilson on Mad TV and all that, I was like, I want to be that lady. I think I can be her and have some fun with it. So we'll see. Yeah. Yeah, um, I just and again, I'm. This is not false flattery or anything. You don't need to put on makeup. You're a beautiful woman. You really are. So I, I wouldn't worry. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I think there is, you know, because the two people you mentioned that right at the start, Whoopi and and Eddie, both killer when they first came out. This their stand up shows or, or Whoopi's kind of like Broadway one woman show. Um, killer stuff but they both graduated to movies and i don't think they ever went back to doing you know stand up or and that kind of stuff uh and i think if you love it this is what what confuses me about both of those two if you love it how do you just turn your back on it and never go back to it because eddie murphy's raw was probably one of the if not the best I mean, it's up there with Richard Pryor's Live at Sunset Strip. It's 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 one of the best specials, hour long sets ever. And to not to have that, you gotta love it. But how do you just walk away from it and never go back to it again? You ever think about that? It's gotta feel like an old romance. It got, it's gotta feel like an old fling. Like you remember, yeah. you remember Johnny. Johnny was always good to you. Handsome, rugged, smelled good for the most part. <laughs> for the most part. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But Johnny always made love to you perfectly. But at the end of it, he always give you a half a hug. And after yeah. wearing all that intimacy, you don't want half a hug. So that's yeah. what it feels. I think feel like that's what it feels like. Yeah, and I you just made that very real for me because I'm a person who, you know, went through a lot of lot of relationships in my life but i know other people who tended to get drifted back to the same person at some point and i was never that kind of person like once it's over it's over and you got to move on and keep keep going forward in life uh, uh yeah i get it now <laughs> but, poor johnny um <laughs> uh so um with with the stuff in in China and that kind of stuff, um, well, well, the very first thing that got you on stage, you, you, you said you, the Miss Mabel moment or whatever, <laughs> but uh, was it an open mic night? How did how did you actually, you know, what was the what was the initiation? Well, first of all, I knew when I was coming to China that I wanted to do stand up comedy. China is one of those places where you cannot come there without an agenda. You need to know what you're doing, why you're doing it for, all the red tape that you have to jump through to get there. You damn near have to have a PhD just to enter. It's crazy. So I made sure when I was leaving um, the States that I was going to pursue uh, public speaking, teaching, of course, and stand-up comedy. And I just focused in on it. I had a bad breakup um, with my, whoever I was, but after my divorce, we'll call, him, jo we'll call him Johnny. We'll call him Johnny. And so I, was, <laughs> <laughs> so I decided I was going to go out with a buddy. Um, my homegirl who was a uh, bartender that night said, yeah, I'm going to do a guest spot at this place. It's a nice little place. And we got a Thursday night open mic come through. 
So I came through and I'm there, you know, knocking them back to drown my sorrows. And I hear these guys going, I'm like, oh, wow, they're pretty funny. Hey, there's an American guy. All right, this is cool. Hey, Erica, come, come kick it. Like we were kicking it after the show and just riffing. And they are like, you're really funny. You should do this. You getting on an open mic? I'm like, where's the open mic? All right, as soon as we leave here, we're going to go do storytelling so you can hop on the mic and tell your story. It took a month of, of Thursdays of meeting with them before I was just like, you know what? Here, give me that mic. Let's go. And that was it from there. Almost five years ago to this day, that was it. Wow. Five years is a pretty short time to, to have the amount of success you you have. But again, you seem like uh, you seem like a person who uh gets what they go after uh or I mean, you know makes a plan and, and sticks to it and puts in the work and gets you know and, and i don't it, it i might just made it sound easy like that all you have to do is have a plan uh stick to it and, and put in the hard work but you also have to have a lot of talent too i mean you can't discount talent last night i sucked worse than i ever sucked in my entire life and it was a terrible 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 feeling and took me i it was i almost couldn't get to sleep thinking about it i beat myself up over it when you can't, you've had to have at least a couple of uh, you, in 5 years you've had to have some bombs some some nights that just did not feel right um how do you process that and and keep going i'll even tell you about one of my biggest bombs uh and i've had a good handful of bombs uh in Shanghai, this was probably a year into me doing comedy. I was on a showcase and I had to go early in the lineup. I was about second or so. And the comic that had just gone up to start had alienated the audience from the beginning of the show. And I tried my best to win him back, but I didn't get him back until the last two minutes of my set. And that's something that you know, as a rookie, I didn't quite have the skill set to be like, ha, let's get in here now. Jump back in here with me. And now let's take you for a ride the whole set. But I got him back at the last two minutes and still felt horrible to have crickets for the first few minutes of my set, especially because I had 12 co-workers in the audience. And so I was like, oh, man, this is going to be a rough <laughs> one on Monday when I get back in the office. Boy, I'm going to have to eat lunch alone. This is not going to work. <laughs> but, you know, like it gave me the impetus to really like develop my crowd work and to try to stay in a moment more and, and develop as a comic. Um, the last time I bombed really hard, it was in front of my mom at a black show and it was, whew, it was rough. It was like, man, they've checked out. They do not want to hear jokes about French kids. They want to hear all that guac guac that did that chick before me did. And now I'm not, she did all the dick jokes. I can't do any dick jokes. Right. I tried to clean it up there like, mm-hmm. And then I heard somebody's phone go off. And I was like, you disrespectful bitch. In the middle of my set. <laughs> and I was like, okay, yeah. lost it. Go back for the guac guac jokes now. <laughs> yeah, you know, um, you, you talk about a couple of things there. Having coworkers in the audience, having your mom in the audience. Man, uh, I hate I hate that. I hate knowing they're there. I don't hate that they see me or, uh, you know, my, my mom's been gone a long time, but they, that wouldn't be an issue for me. My mother-in-law was at a show that I bombed at when I first met my wife. 
many years ago. And that was a devastating thing for me because I having those people at a show, people that matter to you a lot and you bomb in front of them, it's, it's worse than anybody. So do you, are you, do you encourage friends and, and family to come see you or you don't want to, you don't want any part of that? I don't want any part of that. Oh, I am doing nothing but encouraging friends and family to come see me, especially at these shows that I'm producing. Because <laughs> I feel like if I'm going to eat a bag of ones, I'm going to eat it while I'm on a show I produce. And I know that, hey, there's a good possibility. I'm the weakest comic on this lineup, but let's have fun. I'm fine with that. Right. Um, I am going to continue to ask friends and family to come through, even though I feel like a lot of my family members are not going to care until I have a guest spot on power or something yeah um producing stuff now this uh, it's always because i i never produced a comedy show in my life but i'm looking at getting started in it because i we are affiliated with governor's comedy club uh here and for governor's podcast networks and there are other comedy clubs i am now uh sponsoring me uh and looking into producing stuff now how if I could get some wisdom from you, when you're putting together a lineup, do you consider uh, who who complements each other and 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 put them in an order like that, or or does is that thinking not is that not important? You just look for the best comics. That's a really nice question. I believe in curating an experience for the audience. I believe if there's a certain tone or mood or feel that you want a show to have, you can set it up just like a playlist with the talent that you have. And sometimes it's necessary. In my case, the last show I just did, I knew that everybody that I put up was capable of just, if you told them go for 30 minutes, they all could. I had two bona fide, bona fide headliners in Chicago close the show. So I say all that to say, the audience is always going to remember how you made them feel. And I've seen a show recently where whoever put the lineup together made a mistake when they put a nationally touring headliner or a national touring feature act before somebody who wasn't and somebody who wasn't prepared and didn't have that same punch. So the energy of the show where it could have ended on a high note, it ended on a weird note. <laughs> um, and I don't. I, that's not a good fit for what you're. What you want to do as a show producer? Humans are simple. When you've got the the whole group together, how you start it and how you end it is going to matter. I agree. Yeah. Uh, I have a problem with some. I'm not a problem. I uh, I'm put off by. I've seen a lot of specials where I thought it was a really good special. And then the comedian ended on a very weak note, and it 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 kind of left me like, oh, didn't you plan the for the ending? Because the you gotta you gotta as you said you gotta leave them walking away wanting more. And if you end on a bad note, it it, it always feels like the show shouldn't have been done. They're like, oh, what? You just ran out of time. Oh, I gotta go. That's my time. Bye. Thank you. I love you. Bye. And drop the mic and walk off. It it just feels weird. But I'm seeing that more and more now. Like people aren't putting enough planning into the timing of it or any of that kind of stuff, or not planning for a big close. Show business was always about the the big close. End on a high moment, and that when you know you've got the 
fever pitch, it's time to get off stage. We don't see that anymore or, or don't see it as much anymore. Um, Shame. Uh, yeah. Uh, so now stepping outside yourself, because you said there are times when on shows you produce where you might be the weakest comic in the lineup. Uh, can you fairly uh, step outside of yourself and address that? Because I don't think I could. I don't think I could really assess my my quality among uh, a lineup of my peers and say where I belong in that. That that takes a lot of introspection, I guess. I don't know. But it, for me, it's a difficult. I could never say, well, we got this lineup. Where should I be in that? I'd have to leave that up to somebody else. I made myself go in the middle of the show last time and I cut myself short. I went ahead and I did a couple of jokes and then I just started giving thanks to everybody for being there because like I said, it was my uh, fifth year comedy celebration. But at the same time, um, it wasn't until, and I'm glad that I did that to just take a moment to pause everybody up from the nonstop laughter. It wasn't that my set was just not hidden. My friends and family up front were dying at it, but I wanted to... Just kind of like focus on the night and all the good stuff that was going on. So by the end of the night, uh, we all did a, the host got us all gathered around, had us say our social medias one more time and what we got going on. And somebody reminded me that the host had just buried his brother that day, that afternoon. And he still came up and hosted the heck out of this show and wow. gave us some of his best jokes and, and kept the energy up all night. And that was such a moment to me because I'm like, it, two of my friends, two of my actual friends, beyond comedy brothers, I look at these guys as friends and I'm looking at them having a moment on the stage and it's like, <sighs> that makes all of this feel so much better. Even though we closed on a high note with two heavy hitters, I mean, heavy hitters, my heavy hitter, I booked him for 15 minutes. He did 30. Wow. And every it was wall to wall laughter, um, but like everybody left that show saying, "Erica, this was so good. Thank you for putting this production together. Everybody was fantastic." I say, "Hey, who was your favorite comedian of the night?" I can't choose just one. Those are the kind of moments that I live for after the show. I don't care if I messed up my own joke in the middle of the show. Everybody that I trusted with the ability and, and professionalism to get on that stage and do a job did the damn thing. And left these people saying, I can't wait for the next one, which is why I'm already set up for this next one. And we're going to keep the party rolling. Wow. Yeah, yeah. You're an inspiration, man. You're really, you're knocking me out here today. And I'm looking for amazing, amazing things from you. I, I really am. I think, uh, I think the world is ready for you. <laughs> uh, EricaSwitzer.com is in the... Uh, uh, description and it's scrolling across the bottom. Uh, it's the best way to find out about Erica and all the links to all her social are at the bottom of the homepage there, all the links to Instagram and wherever you want to find her. Now, uh, before I let you go, I want to having a lot of comedians and a lot of, a lot of young black male comedians on lately who, um, they're looking for mentorship because they are beginning. But uh, two of the people, one in particular, guy, Uncle Walt, who really, he's got all the energy in the world. He's got all, um, he's got all the right attitude. He's just, he's a funny guy naturally, and he's hungry for mentorship. Is there, is there a, a like, system 
my system it sounds like it's designed but within the comedy world is there this uh, mentorship where people really you older comics or more experienced comics actually want to share their experience or is it in your view competitive always backstabbing always like i'm uh, this is my thing i'm not going to help i'm not going to lend a, a young man or a young woman a helping hand or some advice or any of that kind of stuff what is what is your take on the state of comedy as far as the brotherhood of the the, the business and the willingness to help out a young person well just starting out i would say that in spite of appearances and in spite of how everybody, how anybody's persona might come off on the stage, the majority of comedians uh, that I've worked with are nice enough to talk to, to ask those questions. If you're looking for mentorship opportunities, maybe there's a comedian in your scene that you watch a lot. Maybe there's something about how they operate, something about their stage presence, their persona that you really like. Don't hesitate to ask that person a question or two. Pick their brain, see how it goes. At the very least, you're one step to getting your question answered. If there's somebody enough who will strike up enough of a friendship with you to get the kind, and you don't have to be friends with mentors, although it feels better in a comedy game because everybody's trying to figure out what angle is this person coming out of? How, how are they gonna be toward me, et cetera. Right. Trust is an issue. Right. I mean, it's all because um, when we talk about cancel culture and I don't I don't I'm one that thinks anybody who gets canceled actually ends up getting their career bigger because of the effort of to shut them up uh, in most of the time. But when we see it, it almost always comes from le least successful or lesser successful comics trying to shoot down the guy at the top of, of the totem ball. <laughs> exactly. And if there's anything we know about this, the game and then just saying that, do you. Somebody out there is not going to like what you have to say. Nobody's going to like what you have to say every time. You can't get on every stage and win all of them over every time. But if you're true to you and you speak to what you believe in, can't nobody mess with you as you see that. Yeah. Wow. So, Great stuff. Thank you. you. You know, this has been uh, um, one of the most insightful and and best lessons for young comedians uh, coming up and, and filled with content that people can actually, you know, young comedians and, and aspiring comedians can actually use and people can understand the craft. Uh, again, uh, I am so impressed with you and looking for tremendous things for you. You're going to be a superstar. And when you do... When you when when you own the world, please don't forget me. Come back, and so I can say, yeah, I knew her when. <laughs> For sure. Thank you so much, Matt. This was I, such a fun conversation. I really appreciate you being here and getting up early and and making the show uh, start very well this morning. So thank you for keep in touch and uh, listen. Anything that you uh, will be promoting the summer bash too. I, I'll pretty much daily here uh but if anything else comes up that you want me to let people know about just drop me a line and i will be happy to do that people out there in chicago land or if you have friends and family in chicago any peeps in chicago former co-workers dog walkers babysitters anybody tell them about the summer comedy bash too we got a nice little venue but i want to pack it out with as many people as possible and i have a whole series of shows at that venue watch ericaswitzer.com keep in touch <laughs> okay goodbye for now thanks a lot Right. Have a great day. Erica Switzer, folks. Good stuff. 
good stuff. Uh, I'm behind on the uh, sponsorship part. I'm going to play that really quickly, and I will be back in two minutes and two seconds to kind of maybe we'll wrap things up a, a little bit on the early side today so I can get back into um, uh, doing a great performance, two great performances today. Anyway, I'll be back in two minutes. Over 2 million guitar players worldwide learn, practice, and play with TrueFight. Our learning tools and massive library of video lessons will ignite your technical skills, harmonic knowledge, rhythm playing, and soloing chops. TrueFire's educators are the best in the biz, from Grammy Award winners to world-renowned artists. You'll have access to an unparalleled faculty of over 300 top-notch blues, rock, jazz, country, fingerstyle, and acoustic guitar educators. Using our desktop and mobile apps, you'll work with TrueFire's multi-angle video lessons on any device, anytime, anywhere. Integrated learning tools such as video synced tab and notation, slow-mo, looping, practice jam tracks, and many more handy controls accelerate your learning experience. TrueFire's style-specific learning paths guide you every step of the way. Use our assessment tools to find your starting point, then follow our lesson recommendations, and track your progress as you work through your personalized TrueFire study plan. Progress faster with private one-on-one -on -one instruction, group lessons, multi-track video jams, live streams, song lessons, student forums, TrueFire's Riff magazine, premium jam tracks, and much, much more. With thousands of five-star ratings and reviews from amateur and pro players alike, you'll find yourself in good company with the world's most comprehensive guitar learning platform. Grab your guitar and ignite your musicality. Sign up free for an all-access trial today. Invite musicality, truefire.com. Link is in the description. Please support our sponsors. Erica Switzer, man, knock me out. Knock me out. Uh, looking for extremely big things from her. Uh, and, uh, you know, one of the more insightful, if not the most insightful, uh, interviews we've had. Wasn't expected it till 10, but I'm glad she came by early and um, got the show uh, happening pretty quickly and really uh compelling interview there um yeah so i understand uh, as i mentioned earlier my power went out yesterday so i did not get to see uh, jamie and uh carl do their thing yesterday understand they did a show yesterday i did not seeing carl feel like um maybe he's just joking because that's what Carl does, but uh, seemed to have the same attitude towards their podcast as I had towards my performance last night. He said, uh, I think he said something about it, it not being a great show and, um, and, and having a board meeting after the show or something like that. I, uh, you know, again, bombing happens. You have bad shows every once in a while. I just, I'm just wondering what that's all about because I have not seen it yet. And I won't get a chance to see it um, today because I do have two gigs today. I just realized I just got it while the commercial was running there. 
got a message that I actually have two tomorrow, one I forgot about, uh, <laughs> a short one, a two-hour uh, evening gig before my before my evening gig tomorrow night, so late afternoon gig, I guess. Uh, not looking forward to actually having to do two tomorrow after two today, especially after last night, just bombing, bombing to hell. Anyway, uh, so it just I won't get a chance to look up or watch the of Dykes and Man from yesterday until Sunday, probably. Uh, getting a lot caught up here. Uh, as I mentioned, we do have some live events coming up here on Long Island uh, in cooperation with Governor's Comedy Podcast. Uh, we will be at Jones Beach Bandshell. Jones Beach, if you're not familiar with Long Island, is the premier concert venue uh, for summertime here on Long Island. We'll be there. Um, well, the dates are August 6th, uh, which I cannot make because I have a gig. August 13th, again, can't make because I have a gig. Uh, August 19th, I will be there. Looks like August 28th, I will be there. August 26th is another date. Can't be there because I have a gig, but the 28th. So I'll be there to the 19th and the 28th, uh, doing some bit of stand-up. Yes, you heard it correctly. I will be doing a bit of stand-up on, on the live stage there. Um, and so it should be, it should be um, frightening, <laughs> bombing. I'm prepared to bomb already. I've already got my bomb bombing planned out. Um, but I will tape it. I will tape that and share that with you. Look forward to if you're not on the Long Island um, um, radar, not part of this world. I uh, did notice that uh, Jim Norton will be doing an exclusive over in Long Beach, a one-night thing at the Beach Club, where we play quite often. Uh, I'm going to do my best to to make it to that and, and see what we can uh, get out of that. Perhaps... Sneak in a very short uh, word or two with Mr. Norton. That would be very, um, very cool to do. And I, I look forward to that. Now, uh, I mentioned very just in passing uh, at the top of the show, Issues with Andy doing a rare live stream. I wish it w- it's at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific tonight. I wish they would have picked a different night than Friday night. I un- I understand Friday's is issues with Andy's day. But for people like me, Fridays is also work time. Uh, it's the only time where I really can't, well, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, <laughs> uh, really can't, you know, partake in that. I hope it gets recorded. Uh, I hope some, some of you people who uh, listen to this program will be there. And I uh, hope I'll be able to at least check out what happened. But uh, if you're an issues with Andy's fan, make sure you're, checking that and you're not on long island and uh, you're not otherwise uh inclined to go out to see me perform i will be at docks tonight in island park um should be an interesting show first time there this came up pretty quickly we are um a sub because of a friend of our of pagman and robin who had to um had to reschedule or something, so we're filling in for them. So it, I don't know what to expect tonight, but it's a, a beautiful club on the water, like a beachy 
uh, type of experience. Uh, so I look forward to that if you're so inclined. Little bits, not the Rockin' 45, the acoustic duo. Uh, myself and Kiara will be performing there tonight. So hopefully people will come out to that. But if you're not on Long Island and not coming out to that, please do check out our friends at Issues with Andy tonight. I won't. I don't have a show, obviously, uh, tonight. No Mind Dog TV podcast. I'll be back with you Monday morning. Um, I'm going to call it a day now so I can actually get some rest and get prepared for all these gigs I got coming up. Uh, So that's the show for today. Thanks for coming. Have a great rest of your day. Look forward to uh, noontime. I guess I think they're having a show at noontime today. Anyway, uh, thanks for coming. Have a great rest of your day. Don't forget to, um, what's that? Oh, turn on your radio.
Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me now. Listen to me, listen to me.